Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode is sponsored in part by TBR Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Stuck at home with nothing to read and unable to browse the bookstore? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support an indie too. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 78, and we're recording on May 1st. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington. And we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're mixing it up a little and we're talking about nonfiction about SFF topics. It was an interesting moment for this in my brain. (laughs) (laughs) There was some searching. It's funny because I was like, oh, once I got into it in my head, I was like, oh, there are only like four books on this topic or something. <laughs> and then I was talking to one of my friends who's a scientist and she was like, oh, what about this book and this book and this book? And I was like, well, this is great because it's two days before we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are actually quite a few. There are quite a few. Uh, and I, I, yeah, I had an interesting journey as well. So we, we'll talk about that more. We will talk about it in a minute. Uh, but before we do that and before we get into our news, let us do a sponsor. And our sponsor is Fight Club 3 by Chuck Palinuk and Dark Horse Comics, the publisher. Did you know that there are still Fight Club books? There are, and they're graphic novels. <laughs> so I know, actually, I'm having an easier time reading graphic novels these days than text books. So if that is true for you, you will perhaps be very excited to hear about this. Uh, okay, so Fight Club 3. What is the first rule of fatherhood? Uh, this is a return to Fight Club, uh, the characters that you know and love. It collects all 12 issues of the 2019 comic series, and a new movement has replaced Project Mayhem, and even Tyler Durden doesn't know how to play by these rules. Marla Singer is about to deliver her second child, and the daddy is Tyler, who is very invested in his heir. So there is a whole new situation going on for Tyler Durden. And uh, yeah, it's it's a team up once again with award-winning artists Cameron Stewart and David Mack, with Dave McKegg and Nate Picos. 
And if you have been a fan since the 90s or you're just like interested in the idea of comics, the uh, Paste magazine calls it a highly unpredictable saga. And Big Comic Page says, Palinuk doesn't give us what we want here, but rather what we need, which is always an interesting statement. I do love seeing that in reviews because it's like, I don't know. It always summons Batman to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So again, Fight Club 3 by Chuck Palinuk, published by Dark Horse Comics. Now is a great time, BT Dubs, to support your local comic book store if you have one or really any comics bookshop. Uh, They could use your support during this pandemic. So here is one option for you. And thank you so much to them for sponsoring the show. I agree. Comics are so much easier to read right now. Oh, my gosh. They really just are. They just are. (sighs) Okay. So news. I'm just going to warn everybody right now (laughs) that I don't have news items so much as here's a cool thing I found. Yes. Because time. (laughs) Yeah. Partly because there is like a lot of the news is just like, guess what else isn't happening right now? Um, But also people are doing really cool and interesting things. So the first thing that I wanted to mention is that there's a very interesting free, but you can support it, project inspired by the Decameron. And I don't know how many of y'all are classic literature nerds in the way that I am, but the Decameron is a story cycle um, written by an Italian author, uh, I think in the 1400s. I believe that's correct. It was during the, the bubonic plague. And so, you know, the the story itself is set in a villa where a group of friends are telling each other stories basically under lockdown. They're under plague lockdown. So all that they can do is sit around and tell each other stories. So that's the Decameron. Obviously, we are in a very similar situation. And so lots of authors are coming together to write stories um, that actually do take place. Are They're being told to the main character in an Italian villa. It's very clever and interesting. Um, I am leaving a link in the show notes. It's on Patreon. Again, you can read them for free, but you can also support the authors if you're so inclined. And I've just been kind of like reading one of these. They're all short. I've been reading one a day and really enjoying them. It's uh, Joe Walton wrote the first one. And there's all kinds of amazing authors involved. Max Gladstone is in there, Usman Malik, um, Ellen Kushner, Lori Penny, like a bunch of really interesting people. And the stories I've read so far, I have enjoyed quite a bit. And I will give a quick trigger warning that the sort of conceit of the story is that it's a young girl who's left her apartment um, and has wandered off to a library because her parents are abusive. So far, I haven't seen any abuse like in the actual story, but there's reference to it. So that's my trigger warning for that. But yeah. um, Oh, Nail Hopkinson is doing a story for it. I haven't gotten to hers yet, but I'm really excited. Naomi Novik is in there, too. Like there's just a ton of yeah, a ton of amazing authors participating. So again, that's Project Decameron, and I'm going to leave a link for that in the show notes. So if you're looking for like some good short reads, that is a good a good place to go. Short reads and comics. This is where we are right. <laughs> in 2020. This is as much as we can handle right now. That's just the truth. <laughs> that's really cool. Um, and I have some pretty cool news that I'm at least excited about. Um, which is funny because I always feel like I come to these with mixed feelings. But Terry yeah. Pratchett's Discworld is getting new adaptations. They're actually in development. So when we say getting new adaptations, like they're not, it's it's not a 
technically confirmed thing. So there's talk about this Discworld series um, that's coming out in the form of adaptations and Narrativia, which is Pratchett's production company, has signed on with Motive Pictures and Endeavor Content to develop these. And as you might remember, and we were just discussing this right before uh, the show kicked off, there was the Watch adaptation that's yet to come out. Um, and this one is being described, these series, the series that's in development is being described as true to the source material. It says, in quotes, absolutely faithful to the source text, which at first I was like, why on earth did they have to, why did they feel like <laughs> they had to even mention it? Like, what does that mean? And then once you mentioned the watch, I realized that that was probably why, because of those uh, film stills, the previews that were leaked that showed a very like sort of cyberpunk world it was different of course than terry pratchett described in the book the watch so we don't have a lot of information as you might imagine with a series that's still in development so we don't know like for instance which books are going to be adapted and definitely not anything about who's going to act in it i'm secretly hoping that they dip into the Witches of Lanker books mm. just because those are my favorites. And mm -hmm. I feel like now is the time of the witch anyway and has been for like a, a year at least. Yeah. So I feel like that would be sort of the natural thing to do. But I have no idea because they there are so, so many books they can choose from. And when they said that they were adapting the watch, I was kind of... It was one of the books I had not necessarily read or paid much attention to, so I was a little bit surprised, but it had already been done before, so maybe I shouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> but I'm really curious to see what's going to come of this. Obviously, there are lots of there's lots of streaming happening right now, and that seems like the natural way this these adaptations will go that it'll hit a streaming service. And there are plenty of them to choose from now. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that they will be one of the ones I have access right. to. Um, but it remains to be seen. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, you know, like you're saying, BBC's adaptation of The Watch hasn't even started airing yet. Like, all we know about mm -hmm. it are some pictures. And, but, I, I, you know, people were had a very strong reaction <laughs> to those pictures, which is fair. Um, so I think it's, I, I just don't recall ever seeing something get developed in this way where it's like something's in development. It's not even out yet, but don't worry, we won't be like them, even though we don't know what it's like. So I, I guess visually, certainly, maybe they're making promises about not having any cyberpunk overtones, which, okay, fine. Like, that's fine. But it just kind of cracks me up because, like, we haven't seen the watch yet. So we have no idea how faithful it is or isn't in terms of, you know, plot or character development or any of those other things. We just know what it looks like. And, oh, well, we know what four stills look like. <laughs> we, so, like, that's pretty limited information as it goes. Uh, so, yeah. So this is just interesting to me because 
because I I do think it highlights the level of Pratchett fandom, like that that oh, it's yeah. possible to do this and have people be so excited about it, even though like we haven't even seen the other thing that is you know in development at the moment. But we know we don't want that because we care so much. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just interesting. I just think it's interesting. It is. It's almost like bad marketing for the watch, too. Like, give it a chance, yo. I know. Like, like who knows? It could be great. We don't know. It could be terrible, but we don't know. Like, we don't know anything. Yeah. But I guess also, you know, the more the merrier, right? Like, it's not like they're going to... People are going to be like, well, I'm only going to watch one Terry Pratt adaptation a year. Like, that's not real. (laughs) I don't think so. And I suspect, like, I I know things get pushed out a lot faster than they used to. But I suspect it's going to be a sort of trickle-in type of situation. So we'll have time between them. We'll collect our thoughts. We'll get ragey on the internet or not. (laughs) Right, right. And we'll see what happens with this uh, this series. I am definitely going to be keeping my eye out for more information about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. So we have talked about fashion and geek couture before. And I just like earlier today, I stumbled across a piece on the Mary Sue about an, a fashion retailer I had not yet heard of called Svaha Apparel. And they make geeky clothes for all genders and for grownups and kids. And, like, all of the dresses and leggings have pockets. <gasps> I know. I know. This is, like, in a huge selling point, obviously. <laughs> um, but if you read the piece, they did an interview with the founder who started it because her little daughter loves space and they couldn't find any space or science-themed clothes in the stores in the girls' section. And it made her very angry as you might expect and so she is offering like i said clothes for all genders of all ages and the clothes look great i mean these pictures are amazing i am on budget lockdown at the moment because i have Mm. overdone it on my comfort spending so i did not click through to the actual site yet but the the photos i saw are very promising and I just love the idea of a whole STEAM-inspired, gender-inclusive, age-inclusive line of clothing. Like, what's not to love about that? I can't think of anything that's not to love. So if you are not on budget lockdown and need some new geeky gear, uh, you can check that out. Always exciting. It's really cool. I can't tell you how many times I've heard angry comments not directed at me, but about how especially at target Mm -hmm. for some reason i guess because everybody shops there how they can't find anything they want in the girls and women section because all of the cool sciencey nerdy stuff is always in the boys section so i feel like this is going to be appreciated by a lot of people and i have definitely been I am also on budget lockdown because I was about to spend like $300 on a pair of roller skates (laughs) and I had to check myself. But I was like looking at these really nerdy, cute fabrics and things because everybody's got the crafting bug. Mm -hmm. But this is kind of like, I mean, not everybody is productive right now. So if you just want to buy something cool and nerdy, this seems really great. Yeah, yeah. 
Awesome. Well, the last I I still have I'm sticking with this adaptation news today. <laughs> it seems to be my theme. Um, but I had to mention because I'm sure there are a lot of Hunger Games fans out there that there was an announcement that the Hunger Games prequel movie is indeed moving forward. Lionsgate has snatched that up. So there is going to be an adaptation. Everybody was very excited about the announcement of the prequel book and like the cover reveal and all that. I remember it coming out. Um, So it's the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes and this prequel covers or focuses on future president Coriolanus Snow and this is set when he's 18 years old before he becomes a villain and so I was 100% not shocked at the news that there was going to be an adaptation because this is like this has become such a huge franchise and such a money maker. I feel like somebody would have to have been asleep not to make it into an adaptation. I am personally though, and this is pro- maybe an unpopular opinion, I am not very excited about this movie because, or the book, because I kind of am just in the mood of, I don't feel like for me, this is a time where I want to be reading a story about a tyrannical man and any semblance of shedding, like casting a positive light on this person. I'm just not, that's just not where I am mentally right now. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, well, it's happening and I'm happy for Hunger Games fans and things like that. But I was like, really? This is what we're going to do the prequel on? Right. <laughs> I know. I I was also, I and it's my own fault because there were, people were speculating back when we just knew that there was going to be a prequel, but we didn't know what it was going to be about. Mm-hmm. And people were speculating that it was going to be about Mags, who is, you know, one of the mentors in the original series. Um yeah. And I got so hooked on that. I was like, that's the book that I want. And then, of course, you know, it's not that <laughs> book. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, exactly. I'm <laughs> like, womp, womp. I'm also sitting here trying to figure out, I'll have to think about this more. I, Because, you know, I do love a villainous mm-hmm. origin story, right? Like, I love, like, evil queen origin stories and yes that kind of thing but i'm not so interested in evil king or president origin stories and i like that you mentioned that yeah i have to think about that i'm gonna have to think about that a little bit more like what is the difference for me it's i just always have like women we've been getting the short end of the stick for a long long time Mm -hmm. and so I have not necessarily fully analyzed or realized my thoughts on this as well, but I feel like, okay, so what's new with a tyrannical man? Like like a man in power, that's the story we've been hearing all day, every day. Right. Yeah, it, it is true. There's a lot more novelty in in evil queen origin stories than there is in in evil king origin stories that's true it might just be down to novelty it's very true uh i'm also now now i can't stop thinking about 
prequels I would rather have had. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what if we got Effie Trinket's backstory like that? Oh my goodness, I would watch that. Right? I would read slash watch the bejesus out of that. Seriously. See, there's so many options. I'm sure somebody has written that fan fiction. I'll have to go looking. Thank goodness for the world of fan fiction. Right? What would we do? What would we do? Well, if you're excited about it, you can definitely you you have something to anticipate because it is happening. It will be out at some point. Yeah, and the book comes out on May 19th, which is not so long from now. So, oh yeah, you can prep. You yeah, definitely read it. Mm-hmm. And let us Tell know us how what it you is. think. <laughs> yeah, we're we not going to be... read it, but you can. Exactly, exactly. I would love to hear somebody else's take on it. Uh, speaking of takes, I, my last piece is, I, I mean, literally in the agenda, it says, this is just a really great piece about swords, because that is what this is. <laughs> Tor.com had a conversation with five authors who all have written sword sequences in their books and have some personal experience with them in real life, uh, including S.L. Huang, who I love those books, Yoon Ha Lee, also big loves, um, V.E. Schwab, Suzanne Walker, and Setsu Uzume. And I haven't read Uzume yet, so that is an author who is now on my radar. But they just like literally interview them about what type of swords they like and why they like them and what do people get wrong about swords in movies and what do they get right and how hard is it to write a sword sequence. And I love this. I love it so <laughs> much because it's a kind of deep nerdy dive into a very particular thing that just makes me so happy. And I love hearing about everybody's like, well, I started fencing in college and I started fencing because of this. And and then that one time that I like discovered that this saber sword didn't work for me. Like, I don't I don't even know. I can't get enough of it. I, this is like my this is my catnip. This is my popcorn. I'm just like, give me all of your give me all of your thoughts about swords. <laughs> this just made me feel like once I decided not to drop money on skates, maybe I, I should pick up a sword. Like, I, I cannot believe how many of them actually actually know how to sword fight yeah I kind of net I did not expect that yeah and you know I I mean the world doesn't know this but you and I know that we have a co-worker who does medieval armored combat yes. our co-worker Hannah who is a bad mama jamma in so many ways so and <laughs> she early on in in quarantine life gave us a zoom lesson on sword warm-ups and now I'm just going to be like Hannah <laughs> I found my lightsaber. Like, take me through some form. Yes. We need to be able to participate in this conversation yes. about best sword fighting strategies. Yeah. And, and, how and like, styles and all of those things. Exactly. Um, and, like, it's a plastic lightsaber, but whatever. We'll make it work. You know. <laughs> we have good imaginations. That's why we're here today. That's true. That's true. So if you would like to fall down a lovely rabbit hole about swords, that link is for you in the show notes. It's lovely. So fun. That was a good one. Yay. All right, well, we should probably get to talking about our book picks, but before we do, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Nine Bar Blues, and this is by Cherie Renee Thomas, published by Third Man Books. 
The stories collected in Nine Bar Blues weave emotion, spirit, and music, captivating readers with newfound alchemy, and the murmurs of dark gods. Rooted in rhythm, threaded with magic, these tales encompass worlds that begin in river bottoms, pass through spectral gates, and end in distant, uncharted worlds. These stories describe the pain that often accompanies the, confi the confines of sanctuary and the joy that is inextricably bound to the troubles of hard living. Nine Bar Blues sings a multiverse of fully realized worlds that readers will remember for ages to come and cherish from page to heart-thumping, foot-stomping page. So this is Cherie Renee Thomas's debut fiction collection. She's already a significant figure in the science fiction and Afrofuturism communities. And I am really excited about this because it sounds really, really cool and like something that's right up my alley. So I'm glad it was brought to my attention. If that sounds like your jam as well, you should check out Nine Bar Blues again by Cherie Renee Thomas, published by Third Man Books. I have read some of her short fiction and they were all great. So I'm really excited to have a collection because otherwise, you know, you're just anthology hopping, which is fine and fun in its own way. But yeah, I'm super excited to have like a nice, hefty, concentrated dose of Thomas's work. I should check out my giant stack of TBR arcs because I'm hoping it's in there. Yeah. Fingers <laughs> extremely crossed. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start talking about our nonfiction picks. It's kind of interesting to be in in this crossover genre. Yeah. Nonfiction. I don't think I've I usually read like nonfiction about science fiction and fantasy, but but I did read my pick, my science fiction pick um, a while back. And it's the lady from The Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters, and The Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. This is by Mallory O'Meara, who, as some of you might remember, was a guest on the show. And The Lady from the Black Lagoon is this part memoir, part biography about Millicent Patrick, who's the woman who created the creature from the Black Lagoon, that 1950s sci-fi horror film about this humanoid creature that's been living in an Amazonian lagoon and is discovered by a team of scientists. And Patrick, I had no idea about this. I love creature features and monster flicks and sci-fi monster movies and books and things like that. And, but it has always seemed like a very male dominated industry. And then when you see all the posters and things like that, this is again from the 50s also. <laughs> it's very like damsel in distress. So at no point did it ever cross my mind that a woman was involved in this. And that's the whole point of this uh, book. So Patrick designed this iconic creature, but of course, thanks to misogyny and the film's makeup artists, uh, Patrick was not given the credit she deserved. And it's really infuriating to read about that. But, and okay, so the next thing I'm going to say, and I had to bring this up. I was like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I had to say it. It's going to sound like it has no relation to the book. <laughs> but there was this episode of Tiny Toon Adventures, <laughs> which was that 90s kids cartoon where Babs Bunny discovers she has no mentor and she gets really upset because there are no female Looney Tunes. And she has this field of dreams sort of moment where she discovers this character named Honey who's been forgotten in Warner Brothers' vault. 
And so she goes on this like epic quest to learn about honey, going to the library and asking her questions. And it turns into this sort of beautiful obsession to learn about honey and to make sure her legacy isn't forgotten. And it was this really surprisingly feminist story coming from, you know, Tiny Toons yeah. and my all-time favorite episode when I was a kid. And so when I read this book, it gave me that exact same feel and it was the first thing I thought about. Like the more I read it, the more I was like, oh my goodness, this is like Babs Bunny looking for honey. And it is in great part about Mallory's quest for information about Millicent Patrick, who was the somewhat mysterious figure and didn't have much of a significant paper trail to follow. So interspersed with the facts about Patrick's family life and moving around living under a tyrannical father and then also like the trajectory that led her to art school then to becoming a disney animator and finally her experience creating this creature and how that changed her life in all sorts of ways a lot of negative ways but you also have mallory's story about why patrick became her personal icon and about mallory's experiences coming up in the film industry coming up against misogyny and her misadventures in research and you also get some california history thrown in which i enjoyed as a californian so i might have a little bit of bias but there's so much to especially if you're you're really interested in feminist history and, you know, comparisons to where we are today. I think that there's something great for everybody in this book, especially if you're a listener to this show. I think it's probably going to be in your wheelhouse. And I felt like I was on the journey with Mallory the whole time and enjoyed that sort of non-traditional format of bio slash memoir. So I was really delighted to get to know Mal uh, Millicent Patrick, that she existed and that she trailblazed. And it was just a, it was a really fun story. So again, I've been talking about The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters, and The Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick by Mallory O'Meara. That's been on my TBR for actual years. Um, Mallory and I used to be in the same book club in New York, and I was so excited for her when it came out. And one day I'm going to finally read it, especially after <laughs> hearing you talk about it. It makes me very itchy to get to it. So maybe, maybe sooner rather than later. We'll see how it goes. You um, never know. There's you so never much know. to read. It's fine. Yes, which is fine. <laughs> My science fiction pick is Physics of the Impossible by Michio Kaku, who is literally a co-founder of string theory, which is like some high-level physics <laughs> stuff right there, and an enormous nerd. And I am only a quarter of the way through this book, I confess, but because it, I, it is the hardest of hard sci-fi nonfiction writing. Like, he is giving you the science. He is doing it pretty accessibly, but it's a lot of information to take in. And if you have quarantine brain, like I do, mm -hmm. you can only take it in in so many little doses, one at a time. But I... I, I'm loving it so much, and I have got to read you a, a little section from the book to give you a taste of what reading this book is like, because what he's doing here is looking at various, you know, sci-fi or fantasy things like, you know, Star Trek's force fields or 
invisibility cloaks or the, you know, the um, Star Wars uh, death rays, you know, like any of and all of these things are fair game. And he's ranking them on a scale of improbability, like how impossible are they actually to achieve in the next like decade, century, millennia, ever. And diving into why, like what science do we currently have? What could we develop sooner rather than later? Or how long would it take? And the invisibility cloak section cracked me up. There's this great section I'm going to read to you now, which says, Clearly, invisibility is a property that arises at the atomic level via Maxwell's equations, and hence would be exceedingly difficult, if not impossible, to duplicate using order ordinary means. To make Harry Potter invisible, one would have to liquefy him, boil him to create steam, crystallize him, heat him again, and then cool him, all of which would be quite difficult to accomplish even for a wizard. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's gruesome <laughs> it's so funny and like he exp in the lead-up paragraph to that he explains that like that process is why glass is see-through right like the reason you can see through glass why glass is transparent is because the molecules and atoms have undergone all of these processes that line them up in a very particular way that then makes them see-through aka invisible in a certain oh, way wow it's so interesting. It's really fascinating. And also, like, very tongue-in-cheek in certain moments. <laughs> and I'm just loving it. I'm really loving it. I just... Like, the section on the Death Star made me really happy. And also, I learned all these things about, like, you know, um, World War II technology and the space race. And, you know, it's just... It's really... I'm digging it, y'all. I'm really digging it. It is very hard science, though. And uh, and even with him being as accessible as he can be, like I said, it's still, you know, I have to go through it slowly. But it is 100% worth the journey. I feel like I'm going to be smarter when I finish this book. And I also do love knowing, like, yeah, you know, we could have jetpacks in maybe 20 years, but you're, we're not going to have a Death Star in the next century. Like, I find that reassuring, actually, in, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> so, I suppose that is reassuring. <laughs> right, it is. It's reassuring. Uh, so again, that's The Physics of the Impossible by Michio Kaku. I just have one question. Does it have footnotes? It doesn't. There are no footnotes oh, really? yet. No, no. That's where I have been feeling like I'm drawing the line is with books, especially ones that border on the academic that have footnotes as well, because I'm just like, I can't. I can't. <laughs> Listen, we're going to talk about that in my next pick. So oh, prepare yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm bracing myself right now. Yeah. Uh, well, my next pick is nonfiction from the world of science fantasy. Granted, it is a little bit more science fiction leaning, but I've been really wanting to read this book for a while, so I did it anyway. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> I'm talking about Nettie Okorafor, and this is Broken Places and Outer Spaces, Finding Creativity in the Unexpected. You know what a fan I am of our friend, not in real life, but secretly our friend. Nettie. <laughs> <laughs> a friend in our hearts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 
I could not wait to read this, but it's been on my TBR for a while and I don't even think I realize how short it is. It's super short. It's two hours. Uh, I think it's around two hours, maybe a little bit more um, on audiobook, which is how I listen to it because she reads it herself. So mm. I, I love that. And I think it's great for fans of Okoro 4 and also people new to her work because there is a lot of really great content here and it has a really uplifting really inspiring message that I think is is very is very desired right now it's something we all need is a little uplifting and encouragement so in Broken Places in Outer Spaces Okorafor writes about disability and about her experience being hospitalized for scoliosis and then going through physical therapy for this partial paralysis that's caused uh, by her surgery. And she examines this personal experience partially through this science fictional lens to illustrate how her disability made her more rather than less and how what others might see as limitations are actually her strengths. So she considers the characters and scenarios of her own imagination. She brings them to life in this hospital room as she wakes up from surgery, realizing the thing that had very little chance of happening did in fact happen. She was like, I think in the one percentile of people who were affected um, in this specific way by her surgery. So of course this happens and it takes a lot of a lot of work internally to get through it. But I learned so much about Okorafor in the span of this short book, including that she has a passion for entomology, which explains one of the photos I keep seeing of her, like in front of a bunch of, of paintings or images of, of insects. I was like, oh, that's interesting. She's in an insect room. And then there's this moment where she's literally seeing bugs. And I can't, I think they're both grasshoppers and praying mantises in her hospital room. And then there's this other theme of running that runs through the book. She spends a lot of her childhood running from uh, racist bullies. She goes to a school that is predominantly white. Her neighborhood is predominantly white. I think she mentions that um, her family was the first black family to move into her neighborhood. And I just wanted to give a, a, a warning that her attackers repeated racial slurs do appear in the book. So she had a rough time of it, let's just say. And she mm. also runs from a masquerade, which I didn't know about, which are these physical manifestations of spirits and ancestors. It's really interesting. The way she tells this story is I was just hooked. And so while at first her natural gift of running and her desire to be on her university's track team are kind of grim reminders of what she's lost, her thinking shifts as she starts to see herself in this sort of bionic light, which is amazing. So she sort of manifests this person. She's She, she becomes, after she comes out of this sort of chrysalis, she considers like Wolverine and Mary Shelley and this mountain climber who created bionic limbs for himself after losing his while mountain climbing, to name just a few of the references she makes while she's thinking about her experience and um, how she came to think about 
what she was dealing with. So she begins to shape characters and stories while she imagines these fantastical scenarios for herself in her hospital bed and reveals how this event that seemed like a tragedy made room for her future as a sci-fi and fantasy writer. And she even includes an excerpt of her very first short story, which is very brave, but I think it's actually published in a collection of hers now, but it's called The House of Deformities. And it was a really, she was always a strong writer is what I gleaned from that little mm. excerpt. And then she talks about African futurism and why she was frustrated with depictions of Africa in literature and wanted to show what Africa actually is and what it could be. So there's just like so much good stuff packed into this really short read. And, you know, she's such a prolific and powerful voice in speculative fiction. And I'm always game to learn more about her. Again, this was really, it, it could come off as being a difficult and and tough read and in some parts it is just learning about her childhood and what she went through dealing with racism but overall I really did find this uplifting and empowering and I thought it was really interesting the way it kind of melded the speculative and the real worlds to make this really crystal clear point that she is better for having had this experience. So I recommend the audiobook, especially if you are an audiobook listener. I really enjoyed hearing it. It was narrated beautifully by Okoro for herself. I don't know who else could have told this story. So again, I've been talking about Broken Places and Outer Spaces, and that's by Nettie Okorafor. That sounds amazing. It's so good. I think you'll appreciate that one. Yeah, I remember hearing about it when it was first coming out and thinking, I definitely need to read that. And then, you know, the same thing Life. that always happens <laughs> happens. <laughs> but yes, that sounds incredible. I'm so glad to hear that it is so good. Um, so my second pick, I, I've had Physics of the Impossible on my TBR for years. Uh, it came out, gosh, I don't remember when, and I've already closed that tab, but it came out while I was still a bookseller in New York. And we sold a bunch of it because obviously, like, that's an easy hand sell in a bookstore. And I was always really curious about it. So when we picked this topic, I was like, oh, that's definitely going on the list. But then I had a little more trouble thinking about what my other pick was going to be. And I, you know, there are some books on my radar. There are actually quite a few books about sci-fi fantasy topics that I've been thinking about. But I was talking to some contributors about this, and more than one of them recommended The Dark Fantastic by Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. So I picked that up, and the subtitle of that is Race and the Imagination from Harry Potter to the Hunger Games. Which I was like, yes, talk. let's talk about this. And I'm not going to lie. There is a chapter in here on Bonnie Bennett from The Vampire Diaries. And that was like 80% responsible for my decision to pick up this book. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't watch all of The Vampire Diaries, but I did watch a bunch of it. And Bonnie was one of my favorite characters who always got... The worst, like, plot lines and character developments. She she deserved so much more. So I was like, yeah, let's talk about Bonnie and some other things, too. Like, you can talk to me about other things, too. But let's definitely talk about Bonnie Bennett. Um, and I was not prepared for how academic it was in that it's still accessible, but it used a lot more academic language than I'm used to reading these days. So I had to kind of get my 
like discourse brain turned back on, which took a little while. And there are footnotes, most of which I'm not going to lie, I skipped over (laughs) because they were elaboration or source material. And I was like, I don't need that. I'm like, I'm still following your argument. I don't need the footnote. Like I'm good. Um, If I, if I need it, it's there, but I don't need it right now. So, so I didn't actually look at most of the footnotes. I am not sorry. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) but What she does, I'm so glad I read this because she lays out the issues around race in fantastical literature in a way that is super clear and super interesting and gives a sort of framework for thinking about it that I now have in my brain that I did not have before. Like, obviously, this is a topic we talk about all the time on Book Riot and across the Internet. Um Mm -hmm. But I I feel like my thoughts around this are now more organized and have a little bit more grounding in the sort of meta text aspect, which is something that I struggle with personally. Like I was terrible at close readings and literary criticism in college. I was not an English major because I just couldn't do it. Like every time somebody starts talking about like the symbolism of X or like, well, Mm -hmm. this is clearly meant to represent Y, my brain just sort of turns into static fuzz because all I can think about is how do you know? Like so many authors, I don't think they have those conscious intentions necessarily sometimes they do but especially if you're sitting in a classroom like you don't know you don't know that and like my brain just can't get past that for whatever reason um but the arguments and frameworks that thomas is laying out here are very well grounded and like do make sense and whether or not there's an authorial intent there's clear correlation and i found that super helpful in thinking about you know why, for example, I just read a book. I just literally read a book where the villain is called the Dark One. Mm. And like, why is that? Hmm. Like, it's not a hard question, but like, let's think about what that means. And all of the different ways that this idea of dark versus light shows up in and in places that I hadn't thought about before. So it was a lot of things like taking what I already knew and then leading me deeper into the different aspects of how this dark versus light stereotyping shows up and the impact on readers of color and the impact on Thomas herself, her own experiences in fandom. And as a reader, she interviews various people in the fandom world, as well as other academics. She talks to her niece about the vampire diaries. It's really fascinating and interesting. And yeah, I am glad that I read it. And I do feel like I learned a lot along the way, which like that, like what more can I ask for? Like nothing. That's every, that's everything right there. Uh, so yeah, so it's super interesting. She talks about Rue from The Hunger Games. She talks about Gwen from BBC's Merlin. She talks about the Harry Potter world and Angelina Johnson specifically. And like I said, Bonnie Bennett from The Vampire Diaries. And each has their own chapter, as it were. Um, but she she looks at them both in context of this framework and then in terms of the discourse around those casting choices and portrayals and and the fan response. It's super, super fascinating. Um, So I do recommend it. Although, like I said, it was you kind of have to get your brain ready and like be prepared to do the work a little bit. So again, that is The Dark Fantastic Race and the Imagination from Harry Potter to the Hunger Games by Ebony Elizabeth Thomas. I'm so upset that you've convinced me to read it. 
notes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, and it's interesting. I know that I was like, theoretically, I'm done. But I just, there was this story I just saw today about a new Dungeons and Dragons campaign manual that came out uh, that or campaign setting rather explorers guide to wild amount wild wild amount who knows how you say that doesn't matter I have no clue yeah <laughs> uh, but what's interesting is that they're trying this this specific campaign setting you have a city that's like very like humans elves halflings and the quote-unquote good D&D races and then another one that's inhabited mostly by the dark elves orcs goblins etc mm-hmm. and like quote-unquote bad D&D races but the the whole campaign setting is actually about like no it's not that simple and there are villains on both sides and there are heroes on both sides and you can play both sides in these different ways. And it's like, it is 20 freaking 20. And we're just getting to this idea that like maybe orcs can be good. And like books that have been published in the last two weeks still call their villain the dark one. And you're like, all right, like, <laughs> Ooh, Lord, oh, like, Lord. I feel like we could talk forever about this because I remember some books that were, I think they must have been based on like DNT that belonged to my friend's boyfriend. And that was the first thing I landed on in like the first chapter. And I was like, no, I'm not going to read this. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough, you know, and and I think there's like, again, there's so much to unpack. There's so many different ways to view it. Um, And I just, yeah, I really do appreciate having... A, a, a different kind of framework that is, you know, very useful in evaluating like, okay, what's going on in this story? Like, is this stereotypical? Is it not stereotypical? What is it doing? Why is it doing it? Like, these are interesting questions to think about, but it's really easy to get lost in there. I find it very easy to get lost and, you know, not like yeah. and just lose track of like, what is going on? Um, <laughs> so it's nice to have more grounding. And it is, again, like I, you know, we are seeing progress, right? Like it, it's, yeah. you know, two steps back, one step forward or, you know, two steps forward, one step back. Like we're, we, we have moments of, of hope and progress all over the place. Um, we also still have books that lean into these kinds of settings. And so I think, you know, it's a thing that's going to be with us for a long time. And so it's worth, it's worth thinking about in as many ways as we can. That's wonderful. I'm so excited. I just borrowed it from the library. So Yay! I'm going to read it. Sold. And and you don't have to read the footnotes. (laughs) I'm probably not. (laughs) I'm going to follow your example. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That was really fun, though. I feel like I've learned a lot just from talking about these books. Mm -hmm. And thank you all for listening. I hope you found something to pick up next time as well. You can email us, as usual, at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us, and we love to hear from you. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? You can find me on Instagram at I am Jen IRL, and Jen is spelled with two N's. And you can find me on Twitter as Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram as S Zainab Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. Until next time. Bye.